1: is The Rundown. Living as an immigrant in this country is complicated, to say the least. On the one hand, the more time you spend here, the more you end up participating and contributing to what makes this country thrive, like working, paying taxes... And once you enter the naturalization process, the level of studying you have to do makes you more knowledgeable about U.S. history and government than most U.S.-born citizens. On the other hand, though, the very existence of immigrants in this country is constantly up for debate. Our team on The Rundown has been thinking a lot about this over the last few weeks, especially as we reckon with our own migrant situation in Chicago, which is heavily impacted by immigrants entering, living, and working at the southern border of the U.S. What are the ways immigrants can and do participate in democracy, whether they're on the path to naturalization or not? Immigration is baked into the very foundation here in America. And it ain't just the U.S.-born citizens who have kept this thing going. Jaime Dominguez is an associate professor in Northwestern University's political science department, and he thinks about this quite a bit as well. So he's here to talk about it, starting with an overview of all the ways folks end up coming to the U.S. from other countries.
0: So there's basically four immigrant status categories that immigrants okay. fall into. So one is uh, citizens. So these are immigrants who came perhaps on the green card and then naturalized. So they became U.S. citizens. Mm-hmm. Then there's a permanent resident. So those are people who come to the U.S. Uh, more often than not through family sponsorship. And so they get a green card. And then the third is the most common you see, of course, undocumented. And then the fourth is uh, non-immigrant. So those are, for example, visas, work visas, H-1B visas for uh, highly skilled immigrants who perhaps uh, are going into um, um, a sector, an economic sector, or perhaps they need those workers. So, for example, telecommunications, Silicon Valley, a lot of their immigrant workers there are on the H-1B visa. And so what ends up happening oftentimes is that, You know, this whole immigration discussion about there's all these uh, illegal, I don't like to use that word, more undocumented Mm -hmm. immigrants. A lot of them overstay their visas. And so that's how they end up, you know, part of that conversation that we have all these immigrants here. It's not that they came illegally, it's that they just overstayed their visas. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What are some of the biggest barriers for actually entering the country?
0: It's basically the time that it takes to actually, for example, naturalization can take up to 10 years. And there's other criteria that goes into it. You gotta be at least like five years in a particular state that you wanna file, you know, uh uh for example, uh you want to do naturalization, you have to be from that state. So you have to kind of stay there. And so there are barriers, but people will say, you know, everybody every kind of component of life has some kind of rules yeah. that you gotta follow. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's no different. Um uh that is true, but uh are they
1: always this yeah, inefficient? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. I just want to also say, uh, just for purposes of the conversation, we need to distinguish immigrant versus a refugee. Right. So the immigrant, essentially, broadly speaking, is a basically an individual who decides to leave voluntarily for a variety of different reasons from their home country. Thank it you. Could That's be econ- important. It could be economic. Yeah. Uh, refugee is more you're being forced or pushed out, right? So either you feel like you're being politically or religiously persecuted, and so you had to leave your country. Cuban Americans disproportionately fall under that ladder as refugees. In fact, mm-hmm. we have conversations in my in my immigrant politics class, my Latino politics class, about that, the differences between – because they don't know between a refugee and an immigrant. Mm-hmm. And so the conversation really becomes like, you know, uh, perhaps uh, when the Cuban Revolution, when, when uh, Castro came into power, that those first, second wave, third wave of immigrants probably did fall under traditionally and, and rightly so under the refugee category – But fast forward to today, is it really more about that or is it more about just like any other immigrant? They're uh, fleeing for economic reasons. Mm. Right. And so uh, so I think we need to distinguish that. Yeah. And and so, for example, in Chicago right now with this whole um, migrant crisis that we have, you know, those are individuals that actually have to petition for asylum. Right. And so and then their cases have to be heard before uh, a judge and decide whether or not they have a case.
1: Okay, so these are folks who are immigrants or all of them are undocumented
0: Uh, Yes, they are.
1: And and they in order to become asylum seekers, they have to petition. Petition, Right.
0: And they have to make a case right before the judge that they actually are being uh, persecuted politically or um, uh, for religious purposes.
1: And that is the same as being a refugee, or is that separate?
0: Uh, refugees fall under that. It's kind of the same thing with with that. So the refugees are essentially that you you have to make a case, right? That if, yeah, okay. Because you're being politically persecuted, you're being forced out, essentially forced out. So the migrants that we have in Chicago, are, um, it's going to be more of a difficult situation because a lot of them are fleeing for economic reasons, and mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily fall under. Right. Uh, asylum. Yeah. Right? Asylum is just when you're being forced out.
1: But the line becomes blurred. It does. It absolutely <laughs> does. It
0: does become blurred. That's why it was important at the beginning of the conversation to distinguish the four different categories. Yeah. right? Because, you know, when you listen to mainstream media or you listen to pundits, they don't necessarily contextualize that. And so everyone gets kind of lumped in. Yeah. Right? And you have to kind of distinguish that. Um, and particularly, you know, because immigration the enforcement mechanism of immigration, the uh, application of the law is done at the local level, right? The, the federal government is responsible for immigration in general, but the ways in which immigration takes place on the ground, it's left up to the actual states. That's why different states have different responses to their immigrants. Chicago, for example, or Illinois, like my home state of California and other big states like New York that um, that have a large immigrant population, you know, they uh, pursue kind of more progressive immigrant Policies right mm-hmm. to help integrate their their immigrants. So Chicago I always argue this in my classes that Chicago. If you're like a, a, an immigrant, Chicago, or Illinois is one of the most friendly destinations actually in the country mm-hmm. because historically Chicago, unlike L. A. or New York, I would argue that they uh, have not been as racialized. Because of the fact that, for example, in Chicago, given the democratic machines and the ways in which immigrants have always been a big part of that apparatus, mm-hmm. going back to the Italians or the uh, the Irish and then the Poles, uh, they've always been seen as an integral part of sustaining all aspects of life or most aspects of life in a place like Chicago. Okay. And so essentially Latinos now are just like the newer kind of immigrant group, uh, but they're not as racialized. They're not seen as... Uh, In terms of governmental institutions, seeing them as like a burden or seeing them as just, you know, uh, people who just want to come and and, and take services, which is another misconception, right? Because what people don't also understand, particularly when it comes to undocumented immigrants, when it comes to taxes, for example, the fact that they don't pay taxes, they pay sales tax, they pay uh, an income tax. Uh, but if you're a permanent resident, like you had to file just like a citizen, yeah, right, a, ta- a 1040, yeah. and so you have to pay payroll tax, right? And so uh, that's one of the uh, uh, misconceptions that a lot of my students have, yeah. And there are others, of course, that we can yeah. get into if well, you want to. But
1: well, yeah, let's let's get into it. Um, what what are some of the biggest kind of common misconceptions? Um,
0: well, one was the taxes. Second is the crime, right? Uh, we saw that. Unfortunately, particularly over the last four years with the previous presidential administration of demonizing immigrants, saying that they uh, commit crime, they bring drugs, and that's actually not true. In fact, they're some of the hardest working people. They're here to work. And so uh, that's a misconception. Another misconception also that a lot of my students have is that— um, particularly undocumented, can't receive federal services. So they can't receive, like for example, we're at a university, uh, federal financial aid. They can't, even though the perception is out there that they actually do, right? And they don't. Um, So those are just a few uh, kind of mainstream um, myths that you hear about uh, uh, immigrants. And again, that there's a strain on the welfare state when in fact they really don't take much of welfare funds to begin with, Mm. right? Um, For a variety of different reasons, Uh, they may not want to put themselves out there, right? And and put themselves in a situation where the government has their information. The problem with that, though, is that you continue to remain kind of in the shadows, right? So it's a delicate situation. It's it's, um, a complicated situation, to say the least.
1: Yeah. What impact does that have when folks are in the shadows like that?
0: Well, uh, they're kind of disengaged. They're disengaged from the polity. They're disengaged from from civic society. Uh, And so, you know, that can have a a deleterious effect in terms of, you know, neighborhoods flourishing. When you have, for example, places like Chicago where you're having kind of out-migration and you're seeing uh, a lot of you, for example, we're talking about public schools, right? Public school enrollment uh, uh, reducing in number, uh, but you have an influx of, of immigrants. You know, we, regardless of whether they're undocumented or not kids have to be in school right mm-hmm. so whether they're of age and so um, so there's that so again it 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 does really kind of put them in a very vulnerable position even if they are and most of them are the majority are working right
1: yeah um let's get a little deeper into the path to citizenship what options do people have at this point in 2023, to naturalize or become citizens,
0: well, you have to. You there's a process. Uh, I mentioned just one in terms of just the time frame that it takes. So you know, you, patience is it's, it's, it's a it's a key component, right? It's a huge pillar because it takes such a long time, um, and sometimes you know uh, some immigrants don't want to wait. And so they just prefer, like like my parents did for a very, very long time, so for like 30 years, they were permanent residents. It mm. just never took that. That's because it just took them. It took forever. Mm. And, um, they eventually did. Um, but, you know, as, as a person, everything's kind of immediate. You live by the day. And so yeah. to say, oh, you got to wait 15 years, 10, 15 years, like, oh, my God, like that is a huge long time. I can't, my life can't stop. Yeah, so say, it's right? like
1: it's a deterrent exactly. to even start the process exactly. because it takes a exactly. long
0: Exactly. And then you may not, you know, it, it, it may not go through in the end of your application. So there's that. Right? Mm-hmm. And so then you're back to square one.
1: Immigrants have to study to become citizens. So they oftentimes are more knowledgeable about our democracy than a lot of adults who were born here. Yes. yes. Uh, once you become a citizen... By birth or naturalization, let's go over some of the basics. What are some of the ways a citizen can participate in democracy?
0: Well, the most sacred component of a democracy I would argue is is the right to vote yes right so that's so in my classes I always talk about that we're talking about uh, Chicago politics particularly um, you know you you have to distinguish between formal participation and informal participation particularly uh, in a place like Chicago you have actually both running at the same time simultaneously because you do have a, a, a sizable kind of uh, uh, undocumented population okay. that doesn't mean they can't participate they can't participate in terms of voting however just like my parents did, they got involved in a variety of different ways, right? So there's different activities that, that one can engage in if you don't have that, uh, the right to, to suffrage. So one, for example, is perhaps attending a rally, uh, filing a petition to your local representative, donating money to uh, a candidate perhaps, showing up at marches. Those are ways in which technically in political science we count that as political activities, mm-hmm. right? but they're just informal. And those are important, particularly in a highly immigrant uh, uh, destination, that you may have again, maybe a third of your population is undocumented. That so that it, they're still part of civic society. They still go to church. They still attend schools. They mm-hmm. pay taxes, and so they can be involved in right different ways. So, for example, my parent, my mom, particularly, was very involved in like the PTA. Right, mm. I know in Chicago we had discussions that day it was back with Richard and Daly about the extent to, you know, can we uh, allow undocumented immigrants to participate in the process through voting with the local school council boards? Right, that was maybe perhaps mm. maybe an area where they can because it's such a at low level in terms yes. of governance and and decision making. Uh, and in many ways, people make the argument for that because why wouldn't we allow them to be invested if they want to be right in the mm-hmm. education of their kids, or perhaps you know bringing attention to perhaps dilapidated buildings, very poor uh, educational infrastructure, so bringing voice right to yeah, perhaps that conversation conditions. that could be dormant or you know non-existent in some places, right? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, some people would argue that that is the local level where we should be focusing a exactly. lot of our attention.
0: Exactly. Every 10 years, we redraw our, our judicial districts, we redraw our legislative districts, uh, you know, the census. We do that every 10 years. Mm-hmm. That doesn't go by whether you're on, you know, the four categories I talked about. That doesn't matter. It goes by people, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, these individuals uh, who come here, they do use the bridges, they use our waterways, uh, you know, so, uh, and they contribute to that. So yeah. uh, without that, it would be, you know, I, I think, um, Locales, particularly places like Chicago uh, or even just less under-resourced uh, uh, urban centers might not be able uh, to do that yeah. right, without folks bringing attention to that. Right? Yeah.
1: Can you get a little bit more into that? How um, immigrant participation does enhance our democracy?
0: Yeah. So a good example, if we just look at Chicago, you know, with the, those massive immigrant rights marches that took place in 2006 and 2007, Chicago was the epicenter for those and it helped launch more uh, national uh, uh, marches across the country regarding, right, the status of, of immigrants, right, uh, and, and bringing attention to the plight of immigrants, particularly in those locales where perhaps immigrants, you know, have perhaps reinvigorated, right, the dying economy, right, or mm-hmm. reinvi- reinvigorated uh, even a place like Chicago. If you think about just the CPS enrollment in Chicago, when I got here in 1994, I think Latinos were just about, if the 20, perhaps, percent of the enrollment, mm-hmm. Now they're more than the majority, or are the majority? Um, a lot of that comes from from immigration, and so you know, without that, you would have these as I said earlier, right? These kind of decaying uh, 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 institutions, which, as we know, in a democracy, they play a huge role, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of uh, uh-huh. locales being vibrant, being economically robust. Helping to bring industries and businesses to the city so it can stay competitive, yes. right? And so, Chicago, like any other city—Miami, uh, you know, uh, New York City, Philadelphia—they're all doing the same thing. Uh, from from a business standpoint, they know that uh, it's important for them to make sure, right, that there are pathways, right, for their immigrants to participate in the political process, particularly if they're seeing surges of, of this immigrant population in those locales. I'm thinking it's campaign season. And in Florida, and right now with DeSantis and and some of the moves that he's made in terms of just uh, really applying this kind of tough law enforcement approach toward, towards immigration, the agricultural sector now has been suffering there as a result because a lot of workers have left. Yes, and so now you have these farmers who perhaps were in favor of that, not realizing that by you know uh, contributing <laughs> to that to that to that conversation about you know we need to get tough on immigrants as we're a country of law, you know, the, whatever else they want to say about about them. Um, the adverse effect is right. There's there's a negative economic impact.
1: Yeah. Um. I guess I would love to to hear from you, maybe from a more personal perspective. You know, as a person whose whose parents you said took you know it took them a long time to naturalize. Mm-hmm. Um. How would you hope things would kind of change going forward or look going forward for for folks? Um, like folks in your, your situation, yeah, it, it's a, it's a hard,
0: you know. I I think the 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 visa application process. I think in terms of maybe perhaps streamlining that. The fact that it's just so protracted, and it takes so long that it really kind of discourages people, um, not only from that from pursuing that, but also I think that the negative impact of that is it 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 deflates their I think if I could say enthusiasm perhaps to be more involved, mm. right? Because uh, they still feel somewhat disconnected, disengage, right, on the margins, right? And so they're not necessarily perhaps uh, developing the agency that's needed to be able to – you know, if you have an issue with with, with uh, your local school, and particularly when it comes to perhaps you know personnel, you have a lot of migrant kids coming in. There's a language issue, but your personnel doesn't change. That's going to have a, a negative effect mm-hmm. on the, on those kids, you know, education. So a little minor things like I say minor in terms of on the larger scale of of things, um, the ways in which I think. Um, immigrants uh, can contribute. But I think Chicago, particularly Illinois, has done a very, very good job, uh, at least in terms of, you know, even um, setting up. Uh, this happened, I believe, under the Emmanuel administration that's continue on and now it's at the state level also, but this New Americans Initiative as a way to get mm-hmm. immigrants engaged with the polity, even if they're not, for example, you know, uh, U.S. citizens, even if they're permanent residents, they still have, have you know, it, it's about letting them know that there's a way for them to be to become a larger part of their communities, mm. right? And, um, you know, so I, I think that folks uh, like Governor Pritzker and others and uh, Governor Newsom out in California, I think they uh, obviously are on the in the lane of helping to make sure and, of course, always following the law, but making sure that immigrants at least, um, if they do that, they follow the law, they have an opportunity still to be a part of, again, uh, whether it's part of San Francisco Civic Life, Chicago Civic Life, et cetera.
1: Jaime hmm. Dominguez is an associate professor in Northwestern University's Political Science Department. Thank you so much for your time.
0: You're welcome. Appreciate it.
1: This conversation is a part of Chicago Public Media's Democracy Solutions Project. Each month, leading up to the 2024 election, we're going to explore a different part of our democracy. You can learn more at WBEC.org. And that's it for today. Thank you to Justin Bull and Sarah Stark for producing The Rundown and to Ariel Van Clee for editing the show. Haley Bloomquist was the engineer for this episode. And our theme music is by Louis Weeks. And we love to hear from you. Email us your thoughts, your questions, what you want to hear on the show at Pod at wbez.org. I'm Erin Allen. Thank you for listening. I'll
0: talk to you Monday morning.